The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at Sons of Liberty Media.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Friday morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. We're going live right there on the page, right there on the right side of the page. Just click on that, and that enlarges. You can watch the video portion of the show. Also, you can catch that live video feed on my Twitter account at FPPTim, Periscope and Twitch at Setting Brush Fires, Facebook at Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. We're also uh, streaming live over to BeforeIt'sNews.com, front page right there, and also DLive.TV. Appreciate all you guys who are new followers over there at DLive at The Sons of Liberty. Don't forget to put the in front of there if you go over to DLive. Also, you can catch us on Spreely, Gab, MeWe Minds, and USA.Life. If you uh, wish to branch out a little bit more <clears throat> into your social media platforms, you can do that. Look us up at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media, depending on whichever name we got at that time. <laughs> We've also uh, started a Telegram group. So if you've got the Telegram app, look up Sons of Liberty. We're going right there. You can share information with like-minded individuals on that platform as well. And if you would like to call into the show, Please stick to the topic that we're going to have today, and uh, if you got a question for our guest, you're welcome to give in, uh, give a call in here as well, 215-TOP-TALK, 215-867-8255 for the, you guys who are watching by video. That number is right there in the bottom right part of your screen. So with that said, what I want to do is, uh, you know, I, I really wish I had somebody who could trace down a lot of different people. There were so many people in this election cycle that I would have liked to got a, got on the show beforehand, uh, both of those running for office and those who had certain specialties that they were dealing with. And for some of them, I just got to tell you, I send all kinds of uh, messages, uh, emails and things of this nature, go through their websites several times, no response. I mean, not even a, Hey, I got your email and <laughs> you know this kind of thing. So Trust me, when I say I've reached out to all kinds of people, I've even used some of my contacts to reach out to some people to have them come on the show, and unfortunately, that's just not worked out. So our friend Brian, who is in the YouTube chat, said, hey, 
I got a guy up here in North Carolina. He's running for U.S. Senate, and he's running under the Constitution Party banner. And again, as you know, the Constitution Party actually holds their candidates to the Constitution. In other words, they can't be going off the reservation. Uh, well, while as uh, Republicans have a platform, nobody holds any of those guys to it. The Democrats have a platform, and they just, well, they're pretty much stuck at that, but a lot of it's unconstitutional, their platform in general. And so <clears throat> this, is a, this, is pretty, this is a pretty serious thing to take. Now, the Constitution Party used to be the third largest party. It's now the fifth largest party. Uh, from what I've I've read, but the point is, is the party itself holds their candidates to the Constitution. We've had uh, Don Blankenship on, who's running for president this year. We've also had Al Pisano, who is running for governor of North Carolina, on earlier. And uh, today, I'm going to welcome Kevin Hayes. He's running for U.S. Senate out of North Carolina. And let me give uh, Ke- Kevin just a, a little bit of uh, introduction here. My screen went off. So let me give him a little introduction before we bring him in. He was born and raised in eastern North Carolina. He understands the needs of North Carolinians, obviously, because he's one of them. Uh, He's run his own small small computer repair business uh, and understands the needs of small business owners. He's had over 15 years of experience in the IT industry, working in corporate, financial, education, and retail. He has many years of experience in the political realm. Kevin has worked on congressional, U.S. Senate, governor, and three presidential campaigns. He ran for NC House in 2012 and 2018. He helped organize and get the Constitution Party on the ballot in North Carolina. Uh, That's, that's, I think I'm going to, I'll ask you about that in just a minute here, Kevin, because that's a pretty significant feat, because I don't think they were on there uh, until recently. Um, He petitioned, by petitioning and helping get the law changed, which eased the requirements to get a new party on the ballot. Kevin has been a vice chairman of the Constitution Party for over four years. He has a record of working with both Democrats and Republicans to accomplish improvements to the state. His record of helping get the ballot access change or law changed with the bill passing the NC Senate unanimously and almost uh, unanimously and almost unanimously in the in-house NC House proves it. Kevin not only has the experience but the record to get things done in Washington, and we hope that is constitutional. <laughs> we'll find that out as we go along here. Kevin Hayes, welcome to the Sons of Liberty, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Glad to have you. And uh, we have our mutual friend, uh, Brian, to thank for that. We want to give a shout out to Brian uh, for, for getting us in touch and so you can be on. And so let's get things kicked off here because I had uh, we were planning a church in, in North Carolina, just across the line here in Gastonia. Uh-huh. And uh, when we were doing that, the guy that I was planning the church with, uh, when we when it came up for a time to vote for you know pre- president, because that was the one thing we had in common between the states, because we didn't have any other things, uh, the Constitution Party was not on the North Carolina ballot. So this is something that's happened between I don't remember when this was. Uh, this was either two thousand eight or two thousand twelve. I'm wanting to say it was two thousand eight, but I could be I could be wrong. It could have been two thousand twelve. Sometime between then and now, you've worked to help get this party, the Constitution Party candidates, on the ballots. Is that true? Tell, tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Okay, absolutely. So, okay. Um, let me give you a brief history. I got involved with the Constitution Party in 2010 or 2000. No, taking it back, 2008, um, and um, started working with the party way back then. Worked with Chuck Baldwin, who ran for president, and Virgil Good, 2012, ran for president, and 
North Carolina state law was very restrictive. We required 2% of the last vote for governor, a petition equal to 2% of the last vote for governor, which is we equaled roughly around 100,000 signatures. You know, you had, it was like maybe at the highest point was like maybe 92, 93,000, but you had to get more than that because the Board of Elections oftentimes would throw out anywhere from 15 to 20% of the signatures. So um, I worked with the General Assembly for a long time. Um, and our state chairman, Al Pazana, who's running for governor, would often tell me, oftentimes tell me when it's God's time, it'll happen. Well, I would get frustrated because we'd get a bill through the general, through the state house and the Senate would kill it or vice versa. And so um, in 2000, and um, I believe it was 2018, um, the um, General Assembly has a crossover deadline and I had a bill in the house and the Senate. And I went just for um, giggles. I thought, well, gee, I'll look and see if it may crossover because I didn't expect it would. And a House version didn't. But then I looked at the Senate version, which I had not lobbied in the Senate a whole lot. And looking at it, it said it passed 49 to nothing. And I thought, well, they must have changed the, the law. Uh, the bill, you know, oftentimes don't change the bill from its original to something totally different. Just send it over and make crossover. When I looked at it, no, it didn't. It was it just changed the requirement straight up to 10,000 signatures. So it went over to the House and we worked through the House. The House wanted to change it back to a percentage, which they did, which is one quarter of one one percent, which equaled roughly 11,000 signatures for um, based on the last vote for governor. Or they um, added um, 35 states for president. If a um, party has 35 states for president, they could qualify. And the reason they did that was so that the Republican-led general assembly said they could get um, the Green Party on the ballot. And so I went through the General Assembly. It passed 112 to 7, which is hard to pass anything, you know, truly bipartisan like that. And um, ended up that the, um, the governor vetoed it because the Republicans had some stuff in it that he didn't like. So we had to work on getting the veto route overrode, and we did that. And as soon as it passed, we went and worked petitioned. And we managed to get on a little over, over two and a half, three months. We submitted enough signatures. And um, I guess the Republican-led General Assembly didn't think we were going to do it because as soon as we did, there was a state law that said that if candidates who had lost a, um, I guess they had lost a primary and a new party qualified, that they could run in November with that new party. Well, we had some people who we weren't on the ballot and they wanted to run for office in 2018 and they ran as a Republican. Um, and one ran as a Democrat, actually, believe it or not. And they lost their primaries. Well, when we got on the ballot, they checked into it and found out that they wanted to run us originally, but they couldn't. And now we qualified. So they went and filed with us. Well, as they were filing, the General Assembly passed a law eliminating that. It was an ex post facto law. So we had to sue the state over that. We took them to court. We won. And believe it or not, one of our um, guys who was a county commissioner, he ended up winning his seat in November back. And so we have an, we, we elected a county commissioner on our first time on the ballot. And so um, this is our first, um, 2020 is our first full election cycle. Um, we've, um, I'm the first U.S. Senate candidate. Al Pazan is the first governor's candidate. And Don Blankenship's the first um, presidential candidate on the ballot will climb with the Constitution Party. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. And uh, and uh, again, it takes it takes somebody to step up, the people to step up and say, "Hey, there's other people that aren't 
being heard here, and the two-party system controls that. Let me uh, give this, and then we'll get into some questions for you about your run for U.S. Senate. You know, our uh, two of our founding fathers warned about that whole two-party system, which somebody came in and said, you know, there's basically there's two parties. You're going to vote all red or suffer communism. Uh, one guy in the White House does not determine whether you're going down the socialist road or the communist road. We're already down the socialist road. We've been down that for, oh, I don't know, at least since 1913. I would even argue maybe before that we were already sliding into that. Uh, but John Adams said, There's nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties each arranged under its leader and concerning measures in opposition to each other. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded, not supported, guys, dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. And George Washington sort of echoed that as well uh, when he talks about it, the alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, which is in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. You get that, people? A frightful despotism, which result gradually, uh, which result gradually inclined the minds of men to seek security and repose and the absolute power of an individual. And sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able to more fortunate than his, comp his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. And he goes on from there, and I'll have that up in the archives later. If you guys want to read the full quote there, this is what your founders said. They're warning you about many, what many people are buying into today. They keep buying into, if we just vote Republican, all of this will be, it'll be better. If we give all of, see, we it, Trump couldn't do anything because he didn't have all the power. This is some of the argument. The same thing happened with Bush. But when both men went into office, they had control of of everything. They had control of the House, the Senate, the White House. And our, our, our founding fathers warned us about this, uh, Kevin. And um, I think this is great that you've, you've you mentioned the Green Party. I don't really care for the Green Party, but I you know what? I'd like to hear some different voices from people to see who's actually constitutional. So when I ask you on the show, same thing for Al, same thing for Don. We had uh, Lee Newton Rhodes, who's in the uh, chat as well. He is a Democrat who's out of Georgia. He's probably what we would refer to as the blue dog Democrats. Uh, he's not one of these <laughs> crazy people we got running around up in D.C. But we had you on. We want to ask you some questions and uh, let you tell the audience here so that they get a, a different uh, flavor from somebody who's outside the two-party system. Now, there are a couple of guys I do think that are that are really close to the Constitution in D.C. Uh, one of them is Thomas Massey. I mean, as far as I can tell, he's as constitutional as you get in his voting record. And uh, one of the things I want to ask you is this. Have you ever had a question posed to you uh, on a subject? Let's let's take a, an issue of health care, for, for instance. That's been a subject that came up during the 60 Minutes thing with, with Donald Trump. What do you have a health care plan, this, that, and the other? Of course, Donald Trump told us before he got in office that he was for universal health care. He wanted to repeal Obamacare, but he wanted to replace it with something. The Republicans were like that, too. So if I were to ask you, Kevin, what, how, what would you do if you go to the U.S. Senate? What would you do for health care? Would your answer be, well, I'll enlist something, or would you say the Constitution doesn't give any authority in that area? Yeah, I've had that question quite often. 
And uh, my answer is always the same. The Constitution does not give me the authority to do that running for federal office. And I have to stay within the boundaries of the Constitution. So, you know, the Constitution doesn't give me that authority. So, you know, therefore, I, it's an issue that I would work to um, repeal a lot of the anything that's unconstitutional. And that includes the Obamacare, which the Republicans um, said they were going to get rid of. They really don't. Now they're out saying or we're going to replace it, repeal and replace. In other, in other words, they always said, let's repeal and replace. Well, what are you going to replace with something else is unconstitutional? Um, so that's exactly. um, a question I get quite often. And, you know, it's not a popular answer. People people are used to their socialism and um, people are used to their free handouts. And they think it's it's a right. Well, if it is, it certainly is in the Constitution. The founding fathers didn't put it there. Well, it's not just that it's that the founding fathers didn't put it there because they also told us that there are certain rights that aren't enumerated in the Constitution exactly. that, that we have. But uh, but the health care require it, it demands that you are dependent upon somebody else to provide it. And uh, and that's the problem. It's not a human right. When we even talk about the right to keep and bear arms. We can make our own arms if that's what we want to do. So we're not de- we're not necessarily dependent upon somebody uh, for the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, the same thing for freedom of speech or freedom of religion or um, you know the freedom to assemble. We don't need in, we don't need anybody to actually exercise that right now to obviously to assemble. You got to have some people, but we don't have to have them for, to, to exercise that right. So I appreciate you uh, making that statement because uh, I remember when I watched Michael Peruca back in 2004, and he was asked on a panel of uh, four presidential candidates. Ten questions, just like they were. He's the only candidate I've ever heard say, besides yourself, that the Constitution didn't give me authority. I wouldn't do anything in that matter. And they asked, that was out of ten questions. He answered twice to that that way. It's unheard of that somebody would push that back and say, I ain't been given authority for that. So I appreciate your candor in that. You know, let me just add to that. Um, certainly, uh, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be repealed in Washington, D.C. And um, the government created a problem. Um, so we, you know, obviously if somebody take, for example, social security, um, people paid all their lives into it, or, you know, if you just ended social security or not, you didn't give people their money, but that's theft, which they're doing anyways. But, um, that being said, we need to work on a solution to get out of the uh, socialistic programs and, um, restore the rights back to you know, the states when it's the state's rights and get government, get the federal government out of the way when it's simply not there for the federal government to take. I agree with that. I, you know what? I got I to gotta tell you, Kevin, I'd almost be willing to just give it up to stop, <laughs> to stop the, the suction. And most people, let me, let me ask you about that. Um, most people don't understand that when Social Security was begun, people called it for what it was. It was socialism. And FDR oh, yeah. had, had, had to back out and he goes, well, it's not really socialism, but it was. And there were people who started getting checks who didn't pay a dime into the system. So everybody paying now is always paying for the people ahead of them. And the people ahead, and they do that in hopes that the government's going to hold the gun to the younger generation to pay for theirs because they don't have the money. They're borrowing money every year to sustain their unconstitutional spending. So what, what would be, let me ask you, what would be a solution that you can think of of getting away from something like social security. I don't even get into Medicare and Medicaid and stuff like this, but, but what about social security? Well, at some point you're going to have to, um, wean people off the system and, you know, get people going to the mindset of, um, 
saving our own money for retirement and getting off the requirement of the government, you know, and, and it can be done. Um, the problem is you're going to have to cut a lot of wasteful spending in Washington, D.C. to get because we've got to pay out what we we've already um, the federal government's obligated to pay. Um, and to do such, you need, just need to start eliminating. You can do that by eliminating a lot of unconstitutional departments, such as the U.S. Department of Education, which is a big chunk, a pretty good chunk of money. You can get rid of that and start um, shifting some money around. It's just like yesterday I was talking to a lady who, you know, whether I agree with the um, how they're allocating funds or not, but she said that they she was working with um, nursing homes um, and they were wanting um, some funding to help prevent abuse in nursing homes. And the money was already voted on and allocated for them to do it. But the federal government was taking that money and shifting it somewhere else. And that's exactly what they've done with the Social Security Fund. They've robbed the Social Security Fund for years, and now the Social Security Fund's bankrupt. Quite frankly, we're bankrupt as a country. We're over $26 trillion in debt, and it keeps increasing. And this is not popular for me to say, but quite frankly, President Trump, under his leadership, has increased the national debt on a greater pace than even President Obama, and it keeps on going up. And nobody wants to talk about the dirty, the dirty D word. But, um, you know, I'm the only candidate for this since been talking about that. And, um, you know, we've got to get this out of control government and out of control spending under control. If we don't, we're simply going to have to just bankrupt as a country. We're bankrupt not only um, physically, we're bankrupt morally already. So, I mean, what, what are we going to do? You know, I don't think the funding powers had ever envisioned um, what's going on here. Well, I don't think they had either. And, uh, you know, we got some comments. Oh, you know, Trump is our only savior. He's the only he's the only hope we have and this, that and the other. And it's like you said, under his administration and people can point to COVID all they want to. The fact of the matter is that stimulus package worth six point two trillion dollars plus the one point five trillion they threw at Wall Street the month before. I mean, that that debt just alone um was was uh almost akin to all eight years of obama uh and just in, trump, go ahead president trump's wanting a bigger stimulus than what nancy pelosi yes yep. and nobody and everybody well no you know i've had people say he, he that's not what he meant well yes that's exactly what he said yep um that's what he's pushing for and you know um and people just don't i don't know whether they just want to you know stick their head in the sand i mean i saw it under president bush you know, all the so-called conservative Republicans stuck their head in the sand and let, let out-of-control spending go on. When Obama got under the Tea Party rose up, of course, they squashed it and got what they wanted, you know. But that being said, um, you know, I'm the only candidate who's been talking about getting this under control. And another thing, this stimulus that they called, I mean, how long ago was it in the Democrat primary you had a um, candidate, the Democrats saying, let's give every American a thousand dollars. Do you remember that? Yep. Well, guess what President Trump did? He doubled that. And then they and they and everybody was celebrating that, you know, in the name of um in the name of economic stimulus they give it everybody. Of course, what people don't realize is you're gonna pay it back, you know, in taxes and stuff. So it's it's not really giving you anything. You know, it's got strings attached to it. But I know people who got stimulus checks that haven't worked a day in their lives and already getting a government check and they still got stimulus. You know, they weren't really affected by COVID. So, you know, so we've got to get out of this mindset. This take, 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 take. And we've got to get back to what the founding fathers intended for the country. 
Well, I think that uh, you would probably be like I am and, and say that the founding fathers were never meant for the federal government, one, to be looked to for every solution under the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a very specific limitation. Uh, the Congress has 18 to 21 things, depending on how you break them down, of what they can write legislation on. Uh, and then the president can only enforce whatever Congress writes according to those things. And some people say, well, a lot of those, when you say they're unconstitutional, a lot of those things uh, stay on the books and they never, well, the reason they stay on the book is because nobody challenges them. Nobody really brings a challenge there. Uh, And then now we've gotten to the point where we've got this sort of an oligarchy deal going on where everybody's protecting each other. They're covering for each other, whether they're in the judicial branch uh, where we have, as I pointed out before, Amy Coney Bryant. We've got uh, Brett Kavanaugh. We've got John Roberts, who are all on the the team uh, of, of Bush in 2000. To, to fight, you know, the election battles. Uh, now they're all on the Supreme Court right before what? Donald Trump says, oh, this might go to the Supreme Court. So I find all this a, a little, it, it would be funny if it wasn't such a serious reality. Uh, but not to get off on that. Let's ask some other questions about the Constitution because I, uh, you know, I could ask you, okay, name the first 10 amendments to the Bill of Rights. If you can't do that, uh, then you don't need to be running for office. But you could sit there and have it, and have it, uh, your pocket constitution, whatever, and read off. That wouldn't really be a fair question. So let, let me ask you a couple of things. First Amendment, do you see a lot of legislation that's being uh, cut, uh, that's, that's actually working to cut off the free speech, the free, as- the, the free assembly, um, the exercise of the free assembly, uh, which I see with social distancing and, you know, not being able to go places and you can't come here if you don't have a mask, all that kind of stuff. Do you see a lot of that stuff going on? What would you do to to speak out against that? Absolutely. Uh, well, I can in my race, um, I can specifically say that Senator Tom Tillis, which is our current senator, um, a few months ago, I was on a conference call and he was on it and he was actually advocating saying, well, we need to stop the spread of the virus and we need to um, implement all these government regulations. And if a business, he actually said this and I, and I had to sit back and think what he said. I was like, I couldn't believe he said it, but he actually said, if a small business doesn't follow the government guidelines, and if an individual goes into their business and gets sick, that they should have the ability to sue that business. And I mean, I was just took back because I've traveled I, I actually have been, I'm thinking the only candidate who's now, I'm traveling all 100 counties all throughout the state of North Carolina, I've been everywhere in the whole state of North Carolina. And I've seen a devastation called, caused mainly by the tyrant um, King Cooper or Governor Cooper, as some <laughs> people call him. Um, but, but it's not just him. The Republican-led General Assembly in North Carolina enabled him. Um, we sent up articles of impeachment. And they ignored them. They sit they sit around and ignored them. The current lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest, he ignored them. Um, Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, he ignored them. And the president of the Senate, Phil Berger, he ignored them. Of course, ultimately, according to our state constitution, it goes through the House first. So ultimately, it would be um, Tim Moore. But you can put pressure on them to um, get the Arkansas impeachment going. But that being said, um, the... All this um, federal government getting involved in the COVID, sending money down the states, all that comes with strings, you know. And um, I, you know, people can say what they want. Well, President Trump didn't show anything. That, yeah, well, President Trump got on TV and pushed, and he enabled these governors to do it. You know, every day with these press conferences, making people um, with these bring every single day bringing out numbers and stuff. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, 
and people don't want to talk about that. Then all of a sudden, I guess the political tide shifted, and then they were like, "Well, gee, we can um, we, we need to make this a political issue," you know. And I and I quite frankly, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. I, I see this COVID thing being sort of like I see abortion and and gun rights, um, particularly with the abortion. There's people on both sides of the aisle, but I can guarantee there's a lot of people wondering on the what they call themselves pro-life. They're not truly pro-life, but they don't want to see abortion ended. Because if it did, they wouldn't have any issue to talk about, you know, just like National Right to Life. National Right to Life um, supports candidates all the time who believe some abortions okay, you know. They don't want to end that issue because they know if, if the issue ended, they would evaporate as an organization, um, you know. So um, I can see that. And then maybe that's one of the reasons the Republican General Assembly didn't really speak out against King Cooper, North Carolina, is because they kind of wanted to make it an issue for this election. And they needed an issue to separate themselves. And so that's what maybe that's one of the reasons they didn't push hard against them on the issue. Um, but I can see people are really starting to fight back. In fact, I was encouraged to see there's a town in North Carolina called Waynesville, which is up in the mountains. And they had a um, the city council there was trying to enforce the mask mandate going beyond what the governor's wanting. And they had the votes, but then they had to have, according to their rules, they had to have a public hearing on it. Well, the public showed up and they weren't expecting the public to be so opposed to it. So then they delayed the vote, which of course they'll probably do in closed session some point, you know, because they don't want to see people in person and do it. So I definitely see the tide turning and people getting um, fed up with what the government's doing. I talked to a lot of churches that have been affected. Quite honestly, I can tell you, if if you're a pastor out there and you're listening to me and you shut your church down and you did it because the government told you to do it, shame on you. Amen. You know, I, I'm sorry to put it that way. Shame on you. Amen. You know. Now, if you met with your congregation and you prayed about it and you felt that's what the Lord wanted you to do, kudos to you. You did the right thing. But if you simply shut your church down because the government came in and told you to shut down, you know, shame on you. You know, if you had told, um, if you had told Tim, if you had told um, pastors a year ago, there's going to be something that happens in university, every church is going to shut down. I think a lot of pastors thought you were crazy. You know, it won't happen in America. Well, guess what? It did. And it happened literally overnight. And um, so, and I went to, um, during the middle of COVID, I actually, found a lot of churches that were open, but it was hard. I did find one church that um, the pastor of the church is a state representative, and I went to his church, and his church never shut down. Um, and he told the governor, he said, you know where my office is? You know me. Guess what? They didn't come after him, you know, because they had no constitutional rights to um, tell a church how to operate, you know. Well, yeah, I and and you know, I would add to the church issue. Uh, I would bring in uh, the fact that the Lord has—you don't even need to pray about it. He has said, "Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves." But I, I at least agree with you on the issue where you say you don't um, let the government come in and mandate a shutdown. You don't do that at all, yeah. and I think that's good. And you, don't, I don't think you do that for businesses. This whole non-essential, exactly. essential no, Nazi kind of talk. We ha- and people say it's all Democrats. Look, South Carolina's got a Republican uh, governor, and he was talking like that, shutting down non-essential businesses. I've said this is a violation of law too because one, every business is essential to somebody because it's paying yeah, exactly. for somebody's family, and the second is 
The fourth commandment says that we're to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, and the seventh is the is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Everybody focus on the Sabbath, but he says, folks, <laughs> six days you need to work. And so this is this is also a an issue of exercising uh, religion as the First Amendment is to is to protect. Uh, is to allow for that. And here these guys are. I don't know where they think they're getting their authority. We had uh, Catherine Henry on from Michigan the other week, and she was saying they're using emergency legislation to do things that are unconstitutional. And she says you can't do that. Uh, and I, I was glad to hear that. You, you touched on a couple of things. You touched on abortion. Now, these are these are big issues for people. You touched on the issue of abortion, and you touched on the issue of uh, the right to keep and bear arms. Let's take the first one first. Uh, federal level, what would you see happening for abortion? Because uh, I, I can tell you that I see the the exercising of the law because there's there's no law that we have in our state, I know, and there's no federal law that protects people who murder babies. There's just not any law that does that. And pe- even the president has said, oh, it's settled law, you know, Roe v. Wade. Well, that's an opinion. That's a ruling by a court. It's not law. And so what would you what would you do as a senator? Would you do anything regarding abortion there in D.C. or not? Absolutely. Well, I would um, do all I can to protect innocent life. And um, I actually have a record that even at the local level, and I have experience with the current U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. About 10 years ago, he was Speaker of the North Carolina House, and I worked very hard to introduce into the General Assembly a constitutional amendment called the personhood amendment. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Tim, or not. Basically, yep, I am. It would define life as beginning conception in our constitution. Well, I had two state representatives, two Republican state representatives who were willing to introduce it. And I knew it would be an uphill battle, but I definitely wanted to introduce it and get the conversation going. Well, both of them called me up and said, the speaker of the house called them in their office and said, um, what are y'all doing? We, we, we don't want to talk. We don't want to do this this year. And if you do, we're not going to let you pass any other legislation. Basically, he sort of blackmailed them from um, getting the amendment even introduced. So they asked me what they need to do. I said, well, we'll pick our battles. And um, I even got phone calls from people who ran a um, pro-life group here in North Carolina. They called me up and said, what are you doing? And I thought they were calling asked for my needed um, support me. And I told them what I was doing. And they're like, well, we, we don't we don't have the ability to do that this year because Planned Parenthood will attack us and we'll spend money and all this. I said, well, when's a good time to fight for life? You know, so um, in regards to the federal government, day one, when I'm sworn in, I will get legislation going that will completely and totally defund Planned Parenthood and any other organization, by the way. And, and not just for abortion. I mean, quite frankly, they need to be defunded all altogether because the federal government don't have the business fund of these organizations. Um, number um, two, um, any legislation I can do that would um, eliminate abortion from the federal level, I'll, I'll do it. Um, a lot of states have passed laws that would eliminate abortion, basically, and you, the courts have the courts have become a major problem in this country. Um, and people say, oh, gee, you got to vote Republican so we can get a, um, a Republican-led court. Well, you do realize that the majority of the court in Roe v. Wade was Republican-appointed. You know, people don't want to talk about that. Um, under George Bush, they had entire control of the federal government, the Supreme Court, all the way down to the general suit to the um, U.S. Con- U.S. Congress and their White House, and they did absolutely nothing in abortion. Um, 
So anything that I could do that would be within the limits of the Constitution that I can do to protect innocent life, I will do it. Um, that's my commitment. Um, I'm willing to look at any piece of legislation that might come up that would do such. Do you think the basis of that not only is uh, the Scripture, uh, but also the Declaration of Independence, which is basically our, I guess, if you will, a preamble even to the Constitution, which says among the, the rights that our Creator gives us is the right to life? I mean, if you don't protect life, you can't. You don't right. have any other rights. Is, I mean, is that your view? Yeah, exactly. And um, Dr. Ron Paul, um, which I, um, I know, he um, said that exactly, I believe, in one of the presidential debates when he was running for president back in 2008. He said, without the protection of life, you can't protect liberty. And um, I think that was the founding fathers in their wildest dreams. I don't think they could imagine a time when, when the murder of innocent babies would be legalized and not legalized celebrated in this country. And and actually campaigned upon is that the, there's a lot of people out there's campaign. That's their main issue is um and they've made it what they call a woman's right to choose. I mean, I mean, what about the baby? The baby has no rights, you know. Um, and so um, I certainly believe that. And of course, as a Christian, um, I believe that life begins at conception. And the Bible is very clear on that. Multiple Bible verses talk about about that. Um, so. You know, certainly um, I'll do anything and everything in my power to protect the life of the innocent baby once I get to Washington, D.C. But now one of the things that you're pointing out here is Tom Tillis, who President Trump is backing there. Um, he 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 claims to be pro-life, too, just as our president does. And, and I'm going to give props where props are due. Um, president Trump did sign the Title X. Uh, that yep. did, and, and Planned Parenthood said, well, we won't go after that $60 million we'll get there. But he's up the ante of, with, along with Congress. I don't want to leave them out either because they're the one who sent him the spending bill. He's up the ante over $100 million to Planned Parenthood here in the States, while also, uh, I believe it was in 2017, he signed um, a, something to where he ended the foreign funding of Planned Parenthood, and I praised him for that. So people who say, well, you just hate Trump, you're just picking. No, no. I've, I've done that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, people ask me all the time, do I support President Trump? My answer is always the same. When he follows the Constitution, I absolutely support Amen. You know, if, if, if when Obama followed the Constitution, I would support Obama on that issue, you know, um, which is few and far between. But that being said, um, you know, I got no problems with President Trump as long as he stays within the limits of the Constitution. Um, so, but I didn't you know, give props for props to you, you know, Um you know, President Trump has done some good things in regards to pro-life issues. Not not disagreeing with you at all on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I and I, this is what people don't get. And when he does do his job, I mean, that's doing his job. I mean, what, what's there to point the finger at? But when when you when you do a certain thing, and then on the other hand, you do something that's worse. USMCA, for instance, uh, we we probably won't have time to get into a lot of things unless you want to stay over for a few minutes. We'll we'll do that if you want to do that. Uh, okay. All right. Let's um, keep that in the back of your mind. USMCA. I want to ask a little bit about that. Um, gun rights. That was the, the other thing that you, you brought into the picture here. We have um, a president who told the NRA when he first went in and the NRA, you know, they've they've done some some good things in, in their history. But I, I've read the quote where they said basically they're there to bring about gun control legislation. I mean, that's out of their own mouth. So. He stands before the NRA and tells the members, 
he tells them, you know, the attack on your Second Amendment is over. Meanwhile, in the states, I think it's uh, uh, 26 states have issued red flag laws, according to his statement on uh, on Parkland, where he says, take the guns first, then due process, which is exactly backwards of how it's supposed to work under the Fifth Amendment. Uh, do you want to tackle some of that, including the bump stock bans and the current honey badger issue that's going on? Oh, absolutely. Well, um, my opponent, Tom Tillis, has been a big advocate over the years for red flag gun laws. And um, that was one of the issues when I was asked to run for U.S. Senate. I would do a lot of gun shows, and that was a big issue for people in North Carolina. They're definitely afraid that they're going to get red flag gun laws here in North Carolina. And anywhere you've implemented red flag gun laws, it's been a dangerous to not only the individual right, um, the individual person losing their constitutional rights, it's also been a big a danger issue for law enforcement, which has been trying to um, enforce it. You know, there's several cases where law enforcement ended up getting shot or they've ended up killing the innocent person because they went in and tried to implement a red flag gun law. So, um, and then in regards to the bump stock ban, I don't think, the, the me, the, that's clearly unconstitutional. And I don't understand how they got away with that, except the courts have enabled um, Washington people in Washington to do such. And um, with that being said, even things like permits, like you have to get a permit to buy a gun. I mean, that's unconstitutional. We don't, you know, that's taking away your right to, to keep and bear arms. And so, um, you know, from the federal perspective, any legislation that's dealing with Anything to restrict your rights any way, shape, or form is unconstitutional. So I work to repeal that and get rid of that. And, you know, I know it's an uphill battle, but I definitely feel like, the, especially in the U.S. Senate, we have a couple of people who would be willing to work with me on that. would hope that Rand Paul would be one of them. Um, maybe uh, Mike Lee would also be willing to work with me on that. But, you know, um, specifically on the Second Amendment, I feel like I'm the, I'm the strongest candidate in, in that regard. Uh, we have a group here, Tim, in North Carolina called Grassroots North Carolina, and I'm the only four-star candidate that um, it was rated four stars by them. In fact, I'm the only candidate that took the time to fill out their survey. And get this, Tim, if, if anybody out there from North Carolina and knows this group, it's called GRNC or Grassroots North Carolina. And they're a very decent group. They've been advocating for gun rights in the state of North Carolina for a long time. Um, I've been um, been to a lot of gun shows with them, and they actually helped us petition a little bit over the years when the party was trying to get on the ballot. But that being said, they rated me four stars, Tim. They rated Tom Tillis three stars, and they ranted about how bad he was on the Second Amendment. And so I'm the only candidate who took the time to fill out the survey. The other candidates, Cal Cunningham and Sean Bray, the Libertarian, didn't even fill out the survey. So their endorsements come out. I would assume that me being rated four stars and they rated Tom Tills three stars, that they would support me. Do you know who they end up supporting, Tim? Yeah, yeah, they, they support the other guy. <laughs> yeah, they support a Republican. And I and I went after him. I said, well, why in the world would you support somebody who, who supports red flag gun laws and supports all this gun control legislation? Well, gee, because um, he's raised more money. And um, that you know he's more electable. Well, my whole point is, you know, you're a one issue organization, and that issue is the Second Amendment. You know, forget anything else. You know, if somebody's bad on if they're an enemy, if they're terrible on the issue, then they're your enemy, and you should be fired. Amen. Period. 
and it's, it, it goes along with other things. There's, there's a um, state representative who's a friend of mine who who originally had told me he was going to vote for me. Of course, the elections come around and they changed their minds. And now he put on a big post on Facebook and he said, well, Tom Tillis is mostly supports the Second Amendment. He's mostly pro-life. You know, <laughs> is that like being mostly pregnant? <laughs> yeah, mostly pregnant. I mean, go down the list. I mean. You, we're mostly bankrupt as a country. I mean, you can go down the list. I mean, I, and, and I didn't even comment on this post because I was sitting back and seeing what people would do. And to my surprise, a lot of people started commenting and be like, what do you mean he's mostly pro-life? He's mostly supports the Second Amendment. Either you support the Second Amendment or you don't support the Second Amendment. There's no middle ground on that issue, you know. And that's where we've become in this country. We've, we've allowed people to make an issue out of something and they don't fully support the issue and then because some organization somewhere gives their stamp of approval oh gee the nra says he's second he's pro second amendment i'm gonna vote for him and people are, are quite frankly um they don't do their research and they go in and they blindly vote based on what some organization tells them and the reality is that organization is not brought and paid for by a lot of the candidates yeah it's called controlled opposition that's what it is okay. it's, con- it's controlled opposition Absolutely. And if you follow the money, um, dude, I mean, I've done a lot of research over the years, particularly at the state level, but also the federal level. But if you look at all the money that these um, PACs and stuff donate mm-hmm. to candidates and you follow the money and then, the, then all of a sudden when they get into um, when they get into Washington or they get into Raleigh, they, they end up passing legislation that would pass. It would help them. You know, it's just like and I'm not trying to get off subject here, but it's just like the state of North Carolina. Um, we had, there's a guy who's now going to federal prison who, who tried to um, bribe the insurance commissioner and the insurance commissioner um, helped take him down along with the chairman of the Republican Party, Robin Hayes. And our current lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest, took $500,000 from this individual. And then he said, oh, gee, I, um, he says, oh, gee, I didn't even know the guy. Then it came up on, on TV that he did fundraisers with the guy. And he said, well, I didn't promise the guy anything. Yeah, right. You know, $500,000 is a good chunk of money, you know, so I'm sure when he becomes governor, he's not going, if he becomes governor, which I hope Al presents the next governor. But that being said, I'm sure that um, that he didn't promise the guy anything for $500,000, you know, but um, but it's, a, it's, it's down the line. If you look at, you know, you go look at um, all the money that, the money that's poured into my Senate race through Cal Cunningham and Tom Tillis is absolutely ridiculous, the amount of money, particularly on Cal Cunningham's side. We've had money from all over the country come into this race. And why? You know, um, what, why are people trying to tell people in California and Oregon and um, Arizona, why are they trying to tell the people in North Carolina, influence North Carolina's election? You know, that quite frankly, you know, you should speak, stay, stay out of North Carolina and allow the people in North Carolina to make their decisions. I agree with that. I, in fact, I, I mean, <clears throat> this is that's pro, that's seriously problematic. It, it's like ha, it's it's like everybody gets upset of talk of Russia involvement in the elections or China. <laughs> well, well, the states are sovereign states, people. This idea of this nationalism that that we've got going on, the states are sovereign. They're supposed to be sovereign themselves. They're not. They're only um, under the federal government so much as they gave authority 
to the federal government under the Constitution. Otherwise, they're sovereigns and and are supposed to be telling the federal government where they can stick it when they write stuff that's unconstitutional. So I agree with you. In fact, I would almost consider it treasonous for people who are running for office to represent North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever state you're in, to be petitioning people in other states to get money to to influence the election. That just doesn't make any sense. It is. I ran for state house um, twice, and uh, the state representative Republican that I'm um, in my district down in um, Duplin County and um, Onslow County, he um, is a turkey farmer, and he raised for a state house seat in North Carolina in the middle of nowhere. He raised close to a half a million dollars, and I looked at that money and I traced it down, and the Peanut Association in California sent him money, a good chunk of money. I'm like, why in the world? Are these organizations in other states that have nothing to do with the state of North Carolina, period? Are they influencing little state house seats in North Carolina? I mean, you know, I'm not in favor of people having the right to donate who they want to donate and such. But and if you, you know, it's it's foreign and um, it's influenced by foreign governments, too, because here's what happens. A lot of these organizations and the companies that they donate through PACs, a lot of that money comes from overseas. It's just back channel through. You know, it's just legalized. That's all it is. And so we definitely have a problem in this country with um, foreign governments and um, people influencing our elections. Yeah, it's a shame that that's the case, uh, being the way it is. And again, I don't I don't know why the people of North Carolina are rising up against it when they see that. I guess they don't consider I guess they consider, well, the guy needs money. And so he's got to do it. Doesn't really matter where it's coming from. But they don't see it as this infiltration into the inner workings of their state by people outside who may have nefarious reasons for doing it. And uh, and then once they get into Congress, then you've got these strings attached to that money. they got to do something for this guy. they got to vote a certain way for this guy out here in California who's sending money or whatever uh, as sort of a payback for him rather than adhering to the Constitution and being responsible to the people of North Carolina, which leads me to another question. <laughs> uh, 16th, 17th Amendment. <laughs> What do you think about those? I think those are, are some pretty important topics that don't get a lot of uh, light put on them right now. What would be your position on those? Would you seek a repeal of any of those? Or would you consider it, uh, as some have said, which one was ah, I'm drawing a blank here this morning, 17th Amendment, that uh, people have said that they question whether it was really ratified and they feel like if you go to repeal it, you're justifying it, which I, I don't quite get in that. But what would be your views on those things? Right. You're talking about specifically taxation. Yes. And, um, so that being said, um, I definitely well, I would support a plan to we got to get this debt under control. And my plan would be similar. What the Constitution Party's plan is to take, let's say, the national debt's twenty six trillion dollars. You would take and divide that among the states based on population. So let's say the state of North Carolina had let's say we had. 5% of the national population. We would be responsible for 5% of the national debt. And then you would say to the states, okay, we don't care how you collect it, but you're responsible for 5% of the national debt. And then I would be in favor of basically, we've got to start eliminating a lot, all this unconstitutional programs that people are on. So it's not going to be a snap your fingers overnight solution. It's going to be a long-term solution, but we've got to start moving in the right direction. So um, I would definitely support 
that, that as a way and that would do a couple of things in my opinion what that would do is it would hold the people in each state accountable to more accountable to the people in their state because the g if, if that state's taxes started going up they'd say why is it going up because our congressmen our senators up there voting to raise the debt you know um and but the problem we have now is we and this can get a little bit of a long conversation but the problem is we have now is we have a system set up such as instead of um trying to pay off the debt we just print more money and throw more money into the problem print money out of thin air with no backing um that's part of it but um in regards to taxation i mean we've got to get the government off the backs of the people and um, we cannot continue to do that um i definitely would be open i've had people ask me about a flat tax um i definitely would be open to listening to people's um suggestions on that anything we can do to start moving in the right direction and get the federal government off the backs of the people yeah i agree with that the um one of the things you talk about with the taxation and i've listened to the people with uh the flat tax and and things like that one of the problems i've always had with the concept of government and i go back to the book of judges is when the people were uh, when when god and god never stopped being their king uh, but when he was acting unilaterally as the king, there was no king like the, the nations around them. They had the greatest freedom. And he and one of the things he told them was, it, when you get this king, and he told them back in Deuteronomy that they were going to be asking for a king. He, he said that when he does, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to tax you. And, um, and, you know, our founding fathers, part of all of the catalyst uh, of the of the war for independence was the fact that there was a two or three percent two or three percent tax <laughs> and 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 here we are talking i mean some of these people running for office want 70 percent and you're like my thought is where does government have the right to the fruit of anybody's labor i don't they think live. they do and um go ahead one of these, one, not catch up but one of the issues did and it was just brought up. I saw a national news in Chicago that property taxes in Chicago in the last couple of years have went up over 300%. And businesses can't afford now the pandemic's hit and they've, the government shut them down. They can't afford their property taxes. Um, you know, I've been fighting, particularly at the state level, that I fought for years to eliminate property tax. To me, that's one of the most inhumane taxes you can get. You cannot own property in this country. You think about it. What happens if you don't pay your property tax, Tim? Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna throw you in jail, and they're probably gonna take your property. Well, we've exactly. seen it. They're gonna take your property, and they're gonna so sell they it. Who owns your property? Then? Yep. Yeah, they're gonna take yeah. it and sell it. We we've had stories where there are elderly people. They went and foreclosed on their house for like eight bucks in in uh, overdue tax. And it's like, who does that? Uh, hang on, Kevin. Uh, for the audience on the radio, you can check out Kevin at uh, HayesForUSSenate.com. HayesForUSSenate.com. If you want to know more about him. Or if you want to support him, if you're in the state of North Carolina, 23 hours will be back with, no, 25. Kate Shimrani on Saturday morning. See ya. Okay, all right. So for those who are coming over from Red State Talk Radio and to YouTube and DLive and all the other outlets that were on there, uh, appreciate you guys joining us. And uh, we won't hold you over long, Kevin, because I got to tell you, it was, a, it was a long night last night, and I stayed up just thinking about several things and I just couldn't get my mind to stop on it. So I am tired and in need of a nap before I really start the day. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, let's, let's talk, uh, something else here. Um, 
because we well let's let's continue on what we did because I think we got a little off track there. ATF coming out, you said it was unconstitutional the bump stock ban. I agree with you. Nobody challenged. Well, some people challenged it, and you got the judges covering for him. Now we got this honey badger issue. It's fine to sell as a pistol. Now they come out and they say, oh well, wait a minute, sixty day reprisal. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta stop on that. It, it's really a short barreled rifle. Uh, you know, I had a guy who used to come on the show with me every once in a while. And um, I, I just, I felt like I'm getting a mouthpiece for propaganda. He's a good guy, don't get me wrong, but I just think he's very limited in, in his scope of things. He worked in the federal government and stuff, but, uh, you know, and so I, I let that go. But one of the things he told me with ATF was created for was to enforce taxes. Um, now it's not about that at all. And I, you know, I, I really have a problem with that. So we have this honey badger thing. This has become a, a political issue. We have um, the the Democrats who have their mask off. They say, oh, yeah, we want to we want to come confiscate guns. We want to do this. I mean, they're just right out in the open with it. And then you have on the Republican side, it's, yeah, we support the Second Amendment, but we want universal background checks and we want uh, we want to. Um, uh, gosh, what's, what's some of the other things? We want the red flag laws. Some of those are doing it. The the Trump DOJ is basically bribing the states to install red flag laws. Uh, we've right. got all this kind of stuff. So w- what do you see about organizations like the ATF, the, the FBI, the do-nothing FBI as far as I'm concerned, the CIA, the NSA? All of these are engaged in some form or another. Uh, we know this because of what uh, Edward Snowden had revealed. We know it because of uh, what... Uh, WikiLeaks and Julian Assange have revealed whether people agree with their politics or them or not. All they did was just dump documents. And we know that they exposed the crimes of our government. And the question that I have is, what has our Congress done? Would, would you seek to do anything first and foremost for the, for the ATF and then for these other alphabet agencies that aren't even named in our Constitution? Exactly. Well, first thing I would do is work to eliminate some of these unconstitutional um organizations and and atf for a long time has been um out of control you know whatever their purpose was created i guess was to enforce taxes but that being said now it's become nothing but um it's being controlled you know and um the people who are controlling it are not necessarily on the side of the constitution um you know um I've seen um, over the years, you can go back and look at, I believe the ATF was involved in, um, was it Waco, Texas, when they went in and um, basically killed those people in the, I've been down there and seen yep. that before. Yep. I've actually been inside of that and, um, you know, saw the remains of the school bus that they burned up and killed all those people. But with that being said, um, you know, the Second Amendment is very clear and plain. And I don't understand how people don't, interpret any other thing what it says it's the right to keep and bear arms you know now that arms is not just guns you know because they're they're not just going to come after guns you know, look over and right. what they've done yep they, they started with guns then it came for knives and they came for bats and then they came for they're going to get it to the point where you simply don't have a right to defend yourself period and um so i have absolutely no problem with anybody who wants to own any type of arm in it arm in it you know to, you know but that being said, I think, you know, it's kind of outlandish if you want to own an army tank, but that's your right if you want to do it as long as you didn't try to use, if you didn't try to use it against anybody. Absolutely. You know? I, I'll give you a good point. Um, I went up to the state of Michigan to their state capitol um, a year and a half ago, and I walked into their state general assembly building, 
And I looked, and there was people walking around with ARs strapped at their back. And I, t- I told the security, I was like, me and Al, Al Pazano was with me. We were like, what's going on here? Oh, we're open carry, if you, you know. And our position is, if you don't, if you don't draw your gun on us, we won't draw ours on you. And yeah. that was their, that was their point. And that was in the state of Michigan, you know. Of course, I had this argument with um, at our state capitol in Raleigh. They started putting up these metal detectors, and they, I had this argument with the Republicans up there that, gee, are you not restricting people's Second Amendment rights to carry? Oh, well, this is a safety issue, you know. Um, That's always the cry of the tyrant, isn't it? Oh, exactly. Well, it was Ben Franklin that said, those who sacrifice essential liberty for um, safety deserve neither. I believe something to that effect. Um, yeah, safety and security, they, do, they, they, they need neither. Yep. Exactly. And so, um, you know, you would think that Michigan being people, for what it is, Michigan's actually very um, friendly to the Second Amendment. But that being said, um, you know, it's um, becoming an issue with, um, it's, they politicize the Second Amendment. You know, I don't think the founding fathers ever envisioned it becoming such a, political issue because in their day you know everybody was able to they wanted that right protected because they knew if you take away the second amendment the rest of the rights will go with it because then the government has no fear of the people you know um and so um it's certainly a very concerning issue um particularly in my race um i'm the only candidate that's been outspoken on the second amendment like I said, Tom Tillis is a big advocate for red flag gun laws. He's been a big advocate for day one on those. Um, Cal Cunningham is a leftist radical Marxist. It supports them. And then the Libertarians are very weak on the Second Amendment as well. So um, certainly in the state of Carolina, if anybody believes in the Second Amendment, I'm your only choice. Amen. Well, I appreciate what you have to say about that. Um, and one, let, let's get to one uh, other thing that I want to cover, and I might think of another one here in just a minute. USMCA, you know, the president came out uh, very strong against NAFTA, said it was a bad deal for America, which it was. Uh, it came out very strong against TPP, bad for America, which it was. And then he starts pushing the USMCA. And everybody said, oh, they got that through. And the funny thing was, this is supposed to be a treaty. And it went through the House. I don't know why that was. The House is not to be involved in treaties. Uh, the Senate is supposed to work with the president on that, and they're supposed to be the one to uh, basically ratify it, say it's okay, uh, and, and push it through the where we obey. But even at that, I would say a treaty has to also be constitutional. In other words, that you can't have us selling out the people's rights for the sake of a treaty with somebody else. Exactly. What, what we find out with the with the USMCA is from the Council on Foreign Relations president, he said this is NAFTA plus ten or twenty percent. We find that uh, nearly sixty percent of TPP verbatim is within the USMCA. We're told it's all about jobs. We've done some of the stuff on that, uh, and basically it nets less than two hundred thousand jobs. It sets up. Uh, somewhat of a government over the three countries to determine certain things. One of those is tariffs, which we have actually delegated to our Congress and nobody else, not the president, no matter what laws they wrote. If they wrote laws delegating it to them, we didn't give them authority to delegate their authority to the president. That's why you have a separation of powers. So how do you see the the USMCA uh, and what are some, some issues you have with that? Would you seek to have that undone as well? Oh, absolutely, I would. I mean, we, we sacrifice our sovereignty in this country. And I was I was cheering like 
big time when I saw the President Trump came out against NAFTA and, CAFTA and all those. But then people, this almost this is almost unheard of. Actually, you're the first person that I've talked to recently that's actually brought this issue up. I mean, it's kind of been went under the radar in the grand scheme of things. And um, certainly this is um, very concerning because we're giving up our sovereignty as a country. You know, President Trump talks about securing the borders, but then he turns around and supports these trade agreements like this and the treaties or whatever you want to call them, I guess, your, your treaties, but you you want to talk about um, sacrificing some of our sovereignty and stuff. And uh, what's concerning to me is I'm still hearing people advocating for the North American Union. Um, and, you know, that's still a very real possibility, um, particularly with the dollar decline and such. Um, I feel like they're going to try to push a um, North American currency at some point. Um, this is an issue that I have studied over the years in depth. Um, it was a bigger issue under President of President Bush was a big advocate for all this, and they built the you know North American Superhighway. Uh, worked on that. Um, but that being said, um, President Trump wanted to tout this is such a better deal, and if you look at it and read it, it's not really that much of a better deal. It's like nothing on steroids in some of it, you know. And I've not read through it all. I've read through part of it, and um, there's a lot in there I disagree with. There's some stuff in there that I would agree with, you know. Um, but that being said, um, you know, I think that we can do a whole lot better than what, what, what we're proposed there. Yeah, well, the whole thing here is is that uh, the devil doesn't come to you with all lies. He wraps it in exactly. some truth. And so that's just the way that is. Okay, we've got a really important question from a guy in North Carolina. Eastern North Carolina barbecue or Western North Carolina barbecue? It's a hot button issue. So. Oh yeah. Well, I may make the people from Western North Carolina mad at me, but I'm from Eastern North Carolina. I have to go to Eastern North Carolina barbecue. <laughs> I tend although, to like the East too. Yep. Although I will say, <laughs> if you if you're in Lexington, the, the, the original Lexington barbecue is halfway decent. I, I I did enjoy it. But and that being said, that is a big topic. I'll give you a quick thing on this. Um, there's a new station in Raleigh called WREL, which um. Yep. Hasn't learned their quit. Hasn't learned their um, their um, what they've done is they promoted barbecue business unintentionally. What they did was Parker's Barbecue, Wilson and Big Al's Barbecue in Raleigh weren't following the governor's orders, and they went and tried to make a new story out of it. Guess what? They increased their business a lot. In fact, Big Al's Barbecue in Raleigh's wow. now put my sign up in their window, and um, he has um. He has all kinds of signs up that says he don't support social distancing and all this, you know. Um, so Big Al, shout out Big Al's Barbecue, put mine and Al's sign up in this window. We've had a lot of support in that area. Yeah, I, when I used to travel up into Raleigh, Durham, the Triad area, and then I would go down into Wilmington and uh, out to Fort Bragg and stuff like that and right. doing, doing work. Uh, Smithfields was the chicken and, and barbecue out there, and, and I really I really like that. Uh, not right. I, we got to have some comic relief in the middle. Thank you, Brian, for that question. <laughs> uh, one more that I want to ask, and maybe we can close out because I think people get a flavor for where you where you're going um, as far as your your mentality when it comes to serving the people you serve them under the law. What about something like education? Because on every Wednesday, we bring the Common Core Diva Lynn Taylor on. Mm -hmm. Lynn is known across the country for exposing all of this federal legislation, a lot of stuff in the states, too. You talked about strings being tied. Boy, that's tied big time to federal education. 
that's a it, it, the federal education, in my estimation, is against the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. We gave no authority to Congress in Article One to write law about it. Therefore, we gave nothing for from the bully pulpit of the executive branch to enforce. Yet the president, his wife. His daughter, all are talking about global kinds of agendas for education. It's really indoctrination. That's what I call it. Uh, and Congress does that. Um, Tillis is one of them pushing a lot of that education. We've got Lamar Alexander. He's like the, I don't know, the godfather. He's Marlon Brando up there of education pushing that kind of stuff. We've had the Bush administration pushing things through. The Clinton administration pushing things through. Obama doing it. Trump pushing it. What's your view on the federal government, does it have any say in education at all? Because the president just came out and said, well, we got to oppose the 1619 project. And his thing about what he did with the federal officers and their training, that's fine. But he's talking about trickling it down into the schools and stuff like that. What would be your position on the federal government as far as education is concerned? My, my, my position is real simple. Get out of it. Yep. We don't have no, we have no constitutional authority in the education system. Get out of the period. You know, return education to, to the states and local levels and allow them to decide how they want to run their system. Now, when it gets to state of North Carolina, our Constitution does um, provide for a free public education. Um, but that being said, that's a state issue. It's not a federal issue. And so people have asked me this question all the time. What's your position on student loans? What's your position on this? What's your, you know, it's not in the Constitution. The Department of Education should be eliminated. And if I'm not mistaken, um, I believe President Trump talked about that, but it's not been done and they're not going to do it. You know, they have no intentions on doing it. You know, it's, it's just another campaign issue that they have no issues, no intention of ever doing, following through. But the Department of Education needs to go and they need to. Um, and that's part of the problem with the um, indoctrination of, of the children and stuff is that the, the states can no longer oftentimes decide what they're going to do doctrinally and stuff because. The federal government has all this money, and so it's like strings attached to it. But you got to do this, you got to support this, you got to do that. You know, quite simply, just get the get the government, federal government out of the business of education. Period. Amen. Amen. I, I completely agree with that. And one of the things I even say about the states, most people don't even realize how it got in your constitution or mine. Uh, in South Carolina, and that's because <clears throat> there was a guy by the name of R. L. Dabney, who's a Presbyterian minister in Mississippi, wrote the great uh, biography on Stonewall Jackson, and he warned that Lincoln and the North bringing the War of Northern Aggression down here, <clears throat> what they would end up doing was they were going to end up um, pushing their public education in the North, which actually resulted in a lot of people in jail. Uh, they were going to push it on the South, which they eventually did. They they forced us into writing that Constitution. And see, then you get to the issue to where you're engaged in another socialistic thing, in, even at the state level, because then you're making people who don't have kids or people whose kids are already grown pay for everybody else's kids to go to school for that free education. And I take the the, the position that education is the jurisdiction of the family. And as a result of that, the families can get together, and if they want to do, you know, the little house on the prairie thing, and they want to have a schoolhouse, and they want to bring a teacher in there to teach their kids, or if they want to homeschool them, or they want a private school or church school, whatever the case may be, then that's their duty because they're their kids. They're not my kids. And, and you talked about the immoral property tax. You know, when we get our taxes uh, for property on a house, on a vehicle or something, they don't tax. They don't property tax my socks or my shirt. 
they they get that on the front end. But <clears throat> when they do this, they're, the majority of that, even though they said, oh, we're going to use the, uh, the lottery. I'm sure it was the same in your state. We're going to use the lottery to pay for education. It's going to lower taxes. It didn't lower it. They went up. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a shell game for us. Um, uh, you know, I'd like to see that done at the, at the state level, but I know you're not running for state office. You're running for the feds. So I'm glad that you, you take that stand uh, against that. Is there anything else? Let's, let's get ready to wrap the show up. Is there anything else that you think is a, a pretty important issue uh, to you that you would deal with as a U.S. Senator if you're elected? I've already touched on one of my main issues, which is the debt. And that I think you, the debt can cover a whole lot of issues. And uh, we've got to get this out-of-control spending under control. Um, and we, we can't do it. We cannot continue down the path we're going on. Um, we've got to stop this socialistic mindset that gimme, 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 you know, um, and um, we just got to get back to what the founding fathers intended for the country. And I've been, like I said, I've been to all 100 counties and I've talked to people in all 100 counties. And I can tell you, people are fed up with what's going on and people won't be, they know something's wrong. They're just looking for the solution. And that solution is the constitution. We've got to get back to the constitution. So simply put, we just need to look at each piece of legislation. Is it constitutional? Is it not constitutional? And if it is constitutional, is it going to benefit on uh, the people of the state of North Carolina? And if so, how, and um, use that as our guide, you know, that's what we've got to do. Well, and I would like to see more of when people come up. I'd like to see the ending of corporate written legislation because I know these people who are representatives, they're getting it from corporations. They're getting when you, this the whole seatbelt law. Look, I'm for wearing a seatbelt. I'm not for mandating it where you can go steal, steal the fruit of my labor for 25 bucks because I didn't, you didn't see me wearing a seatbelt here in South Carolina. It's ridiculous to me. And you know that's written by the insurance companies. Uh, same thing happens with a lot of other uh, regulations and, and things that are thrown in place, which we don't give no. government any place to deal with in the first place. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say regulations are a huge thing. I mean, <laughs> everything's regulated by our life, you yeah. know, even down to the First Amendment issue. Um, I, re- I used to ask if it was a church I went to and they had to post a sign that the fire department said maximum capacity, whatever, 125 people. I said, you know, I think it's a safety issue, certainly, but that, why does the fire department dictate you how many people you can have in your building? Yep. That's a First Amendment violation right there. But people don't think about that. Um, it's all know, in the name of safety, the, Kevin. It's, it's it, they all care in the name of, everything's in the name of safety. Isn't that interesting? Everything's in the name of safety. <laughs> well, you know? the, the thing and is, they, they care about your safety worry, so The government's there to protect you, so yeah. don't worry. They, they care about your safety so much that they'll allow 60 million of their own citizens to be murdered in the womb. But remember, they care about your safety. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they, yeah, got, they, they got your safety in mind. Don't worry. Yeah. Trust them. Yeah. And they're going to trample your safety is what they're going to do. If you give them enough rope, exactly. uh, they'll want to be a cowboy. So here's the, here's the thing. If people want to check you out, tell them where they can find you. Certainly. You can go to my website, HayesForYouAscendant.com. It's H-A-Y-E-S. He's got it up, YouAscendant.com. You can follow me on Facebook. Look up Kevin Hayes for U.S. Senate. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I believe the handle for that is Hayes for, N- for um, U.S. Hayes for NC. I believe it's my Twitter handle. Um, you can check me out on all those um, platforms. 
Um, then just um, otherwise you can Google me. I'm all over Google. You can find me pretty easily. Um, and I'm the um, only candidate that's going to defend your constitutional rights in the next election. So if you like my message and you believe in what we stand for, go to my website, hazeforyouassent.com. Click that donate button. Click um, volunteer. Help me uh, spread the message of freedom and liberty here just a few days away from this election. Amen. All right, Kevin, we appreciate your time this morning. If you'll hang on, thank give me you. about 10 seconds to shut down the stream when it goes quiet. And I uh, want to just say thank you again off air a little bit. Guys, if you want to check out Kevin, HayesForUSSenate.com. If you want to support him, you're in the state of North Carolina, you want to support him, that's where you want to go. That's where he, uh, you can uh, help him on Election Day next week. And, uh, Kevin, again, we appreciate your time this morning, your candor. Guys, we appreciate you guys joining us in the chat room, the guys who are on Red State. Appreciate you guys. And again, tomorrow, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, Kate Shimerani will be on with us. Guys, she is going through it. Uh, she is going through the persecution for speaking out. They have turned even her own son against her. And so our health and wellness expert, Kate Shimerani, straight from the U.K., will be with us tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Don't miss it. Till then, see ya. <laughs>